You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. It's, uh, it's good to be back home in Wilmore. My family is still in this area, my sister and brother. And uh, it's a pleasure being with you this morning. I'm thinking back to a good number of years ago at a moment when I thought I was about to die. It's kind of an interesting story. Uh, soon after I became a missionary to Kenya, I'd taken over uh, with me a ham radio license that I got just before I left, never turned on a ham radio license. And some people I knew, a husband and wife from Colorado, come over to help with that. They brought their son. I remember we climbed up the, the tower there at Tenwick, which wasn't working, old, homemade, rattly thing, 60 feet high in the air. And here, this, their son came up there with me to fix the antenna. We were hanging on the side of this thing as it swayed in the breeze. We came home on our first deputation and we went by to see them in Boulder, Colorado. And Keith, the boy said, uh, uh, Dave, let's go mountain climbing. I love to mountain climb. He had told me that when he was in Kenya. You, you up for it? Sure, I'm, I'm always up for something new. So we begin to head up the Flatirons, which are right behind Boulder. And if you know Boulder, you see those Flatirons are just all over top of you. In fact, it's pretty steep, but you're not, you know, hanging with your fingers, about 45 degree angle. He put a rope on me, he went up ahead and I kind of climbed up on my hands and knees and thought, well, man, that's not so bad. I thought it was gonna be tougher than this. We got up to the top, we sit down and had something to drink, had a snack, and he said, okay, now we're heading down. I'm thinking, man, that's gonna be hard to get. Oh no, it's no problem getting down, Dave. We're gonna go over here and get down. He walks over to the other side and there's a 200 foot cliff. He reaches into his backpack, pulls out a rope, a harness, shows me how to get into it. And he says, we're gonna repel down. I'd never repelled in my life. I'd never seen anybody repel. And I imagine, I, well, I was thinking, I'm not sure I wanna do this. He, he pulled out the rope and the descender, this little figure of eight type of thing that you just you know, wrap the rope through. And he says, David, it's really easy. You just turn around and get your finger, your toes right on the edge of the cliff and hold left hand up here and your back hand down here and, and just jump and then let the rope out. And I'm thinking, are, are, are you crazy? I mean, you know, I, I'm ready to learn something new, but let's go to five feet or 10 feet fall, not a 200 foot fall to get down. And my first thought was, I don't want to die repelling. <laughs> My second thought was, what is a man with three children under six years of age doing up here? And I've got to get down some way. Keith began to talk to me. And finally, as he tried to encourage me, he said, Dave, don't you have faith in me? That's an interesting question, isn't it? You ever had somebody ask you that question? Because the question raises two things to mind. What is faith? And who is me? Richard Dawkins, the atheist, derided faith. He called it a blind trust, even in the teeth of evidence to the contrary. You go look it up in the dictionary and it talks about faith as a belief. It's a, a firm conviction. It's an assurance that something is so. That's how they describe faith. If, 
If you were a, a deist, you might say, I, I believe there's a God. If you're a Christian, you'd say something different. In fact, the Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So as a Christian, I might tell you, well, you know, I came to faith when I was eight years old. My dad was preaching in a camp meeting up in Pennsylvania. I came down to the altar and expressed my faith in Christ. Or I could tell you that uh, I had the faith to come out of that balcony in 1970 during the Asbury revival and come down to the altar. And there I made Christ Lord of my life. I had faith to do that. But those statements are really inadequate because you came to Christ, I hope you have, when you accepted him as your savior. But faith is not just an event. Faith is not just an event, it's a lifestyle. In fact, the, the Bible says the just, what, shall live by faith. The just are those of us who've accepted Christ as our savior, but then there is living out faith in your life. And that's often where we have the problem as we begin our walk and continue our walk with Christ. One of my favorite definitions of faith is from Tony Evans. And he says this, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Think about that for a minute. Faith is acting. It's not something that you have assurance of. Yes, you have that assurance, but when you really have faith, you act like God is telling the truth. It's not just an assurance. It's not just a belief. It's not just a conviction. Maybe an example. I, I, I think democracy is a wonderful form of government. I, I, I have a belief in that. I, I think I'm, I'm very fortunate to live in the United States, but it's a different thing to say, I'll join the army, go put my life on the line, to protect that democracy. That's an act. It's not just a belief or an assurance. And real faith changes how we act. Keith said to me up there on that mountain, do you have faith in me? I looked at that rope and it was about the size, maybe a little smaller than my little finger. I thought that looks like my mother's old cotton clothesline. I, I'm not sure I want to hang off a cliff on that. And and I turned to Keith and he said, oh, David, this, this thing's been tested to over 2,000 pounds. It can hold you. And I, I looked at that little descender made out of aluminum. It was light. He said, oh, that thing can hold 4,000 pounds. He, he kept trying to assure me that, that, uh, that I could do this. But see, the issue is a, a lot of faith in an is, insufficient substance is dangerous. Say that again. A lot of faith in an insufficient substance is inadequate. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The question is, what is your substance? And unfortunately, as we go through life here in, in university or as you go out and to your careers, it's very easy to begin putting your faith and your hope in other things, insufficient substances. It may be in a person, a thing or things or a situation. It may be your job. You've got a great job. Wow. If I just had that job, I'd, I'd even be better. Maybe money. Oh, man, if, if I just had more money, I, 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 everything would be okay. 
could be your reputation that you have or a, a political candidate in this season. If we just got that person into the presidency, everything would be wonderful. Or a faith in your beautiful home or your power or your beautiful appearance or your handsome appearance. And I'm just so suave and I, you know, I just have this confidence. I've, I've got faith in that. Or relationships or you see people in a marriage put all their faith in their spouse. That person's going to make me happy. I'll marry her, I'll marry him, and everything will be wonderful. I hate to clue you in, but it won't always be bright every day. Maybe in your retirement account. I've got a, a brother-in-law who's thinking about retirement. We were over there just the other night talking, and, and you know he's been very conscientious and kept putting money in his retirement account, but he's having difficulty to make that decision about retirement. You know why? Well, what if the stock market just crashed? Dave? What if these things fell apart? And maybe, maybe that's just not enough. Maybe that's just not enough. And I turned to him and I said, you just got to trust God. You've prepared well. Don't put your faith in your retirement account. Maybe it's your good health, which could change in a moment. See, we need to put our faith in where the substance is, and that is in God himself. And we're going to talk more about that. Keith turned to me up there and he said, Dave, listen, I, I know you're, you're nervous about this. Guess what? I'm going to go down with you. There, there's two big eye bolts that are sunk here and concreted into the top of this so that we can repel down. And I'm going to hook my rope to one and you hook yours to the other and, and I'll coach you and I'll go down beside you. And, you know, you, you still may be fearful. You, you still may be scared, but I'm going to be there. Let me tell you something else. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. You can go to a praise service and get an emotional high and walk out the door with no real faith. Feelings can change based on information or circumstances. You can be anxious or discouraged and still have faith. I remember my freshman year, I, I came in in pre-med. My sister had warned me that was going to be a rough road. She was already here at Asbury. And one of the first classes I had to take was calculus. Let me tell you, that's the most worthless class for medicine. Let me clue you in. And unfortunately, the faculty member that used to teach it, teach it had retired and they couldn't find somebody. And they just got a lecturer to come and teach. And he had very little teaching experience. It was just kind of till we can get somebody else. It came to midterm, and I got a note from the dean's office that I had a D. I'd never had a D in my life. I'd applied myself well during high school. I thought, that D may keep me out of the medical school. We started with 30 students in the class. We had no homework grades. We had three problems for midterm and three problems for final, and that was it. By midterm... All but seven students had dropped the class. Time they got their midterm grades. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe I should as well. I was discouraged. I, I had this, this could destroy my GPA, so important to get into med school. But God just brought me back to the fact that he had called me into medical missions as a senior in high school. And he promised he was going to be with me every step of the way. I applied myself even harder and got a C. 
by the end of the term. Next two terms, I got A's. I think somebody at the dean's office had a talk with the faculty member. We started having homework and other things. But faith is not a feeling. In fact, Elizabeth Elliot has a wonderful quote. Feelings don't help much when you are in a lion's den hanging on a wooden cross. Faith is an act of the will based on the unbreakable word of God. Remember the story of Elizabeth Elliot. Her husband was martyred down in Ecuador by the Aka Indians. And the Bible says this, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. Wow. See, faith is the key you must utilize to experience God. Weak faith, you don't experience much of God. If a Christian doesn't act like God is telling the truth, it displeases God. Why? If you don't have faith, you're really challenging God's integrity. You're not believing his promises. You're not willing to follow his commands. You aren't telling, you're really telling him you don't believe in him with your actions. In fact, you could go as far as say you're acting like God's a liar. That's pretty heavy words, but it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And in this, this is written to believers in Hebrews. This is not people that haven't accepted Christ. Tony Evans says this, faith is acting like it is so, even when it isn't so, in order that it may be so, because God said so. That's worth jotting down, isn't it? Faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, in order that it may be so, because God said so. If you go over to Hebrews 11, that great faith hall of fame that's written in Hebrews, and it talks about Noah building the ark when it never even rained. People thought he was crazy, took decades to build it. It talks about Abraham going into a country he didn't know, sold everything he had and took off with his family, not even knowing where he's going. That's faith. It talks about Moses. He has killed someone, fled for his life. He's been in the wilderness for 40 years. And yet by faith, he goes back to let the Israelite, lead the Israelites out. And one of my favorites, Rahab. Remember Rahab? She was the harlot at Jericho that the spies found. And she hid them. And she lied to the authorities to protect them. Because of her faith, she became the great-grandmother of King David. They're witnesses that are saying to us, you can trust God. He's our substance. He's trustworthy. You can act. You know, uh, in medicine, it's interesting something about it. It kind of uh, pops the bubble for many doctors. Two-thirds of the people in the United States have a prescription, but only half of them take the medicine like they're prescribed to take it. Did you know that? You're probably one of those. In fact, probably half of you are one of those if you're on a prescription medicine. So if you're my patient and you have diabetes and I explain to you that this is a serious chronic disease and you need to take your medicine, and if you don't, it could lead to strokes and problems with your legs and you could have your toes amputated and your kidneys shut down and you've got to take your medicine. Only about 50% of people do that. You, you may love me, but you don't go to the pharmacy. And you don't uh, take it like you're told to take it. And if you, when it gets really bad, you're going to come back to me because you trust me as your doctor and I'm going to try to repair your bad habits. That's called medication non-adherence. 
But that's how we often are as well. What I would call non-adherence to God's word and the Holy Spirit as he talks to us. So the question is, how do you strengthen your faith? How do you practice your faith? How do you grow in your faith? Well, up there on that mountain, I had to finally get on the edge and let go. That's what you've got to do, is trust God for every situation. And you build your faith as you do that. When I first let go, I probably went a foot. But then I kind of got the feeling, yeah, that, that rope did stop me. I, I thought I was going to have to go like this and grab on. Yeah, that did stop me. So I jumped out a little further and let out a little more. And before long, I got down there. I was taking huge leaps. We got to the bottom. I said, let's do that again. And what I was doing was growing my faith in that rope and the process of how I could repel. And that's how you grow your faith. If you want to grow your faith, then you've got to take out and take those leaps that God is asking you to take. One of the reasons I've talked about that is because I've experienced that throughout my life with what God has called me to do. It's following his commands and seeing him work in unbelievable ways. Whatever you do, work heartedly as for the Lord and not for man. Whatever you do, do all the glory of God. And practicing your faith started here at Asbury. And then medical school and residency, working hard. I tell students that are planning to go into medicine, you know how you get into medicine as a physician or nurse or whatever? It's not because you're the smartest. It's because you go to the library when everybody else goes to the ball game. It's determination. It's work. And because of that, I graduated AOA, top 3% of my medical class and was chief resident in my residency. Why? Because I'm so smart? No, because... I took these verses to heart, work heartily, not for that grade, not for anything else, but unto the Lord. I started my residency, it was in, down in Columbus, Georgia, large program, one of the best in the South. And one of my first rotations was OB. And I got a note from the chief of the department, Nikki Suma. She was the wife of the director of our program. And she wrote a note to all the residents starting that rotation and said, listen, if you're not willing to do abortions, can you write me a letter and explain why you're not willing to do them? And I had just read this verse not long before, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. I wrote her a letter back and said, uh, Dr. Suma, very respectful letter. Dr. Suma, I, I uh, appreciate you asking about whether we'd like to do this or not, but I'll be willing to write you a letter about why I won't do an abortion when you're ready to ask those who are doing the abortions why they're doing them. That could have gotten me thrown out of the residency. And then I determined I was going to be the best resident she ever had. It's interesting how God's work. I was chief resident in charge of all the residents in my third year. And one day I walked in. And everything was in an uproar on a Monday morning because they had fired the director of our program. They had sent out a security person from the hospital and fired him on Sunday afternoon. Knew his wife was going to leave. The whole program was going to fall apart. Residents were on the phone trying to find other programs. And I thought, my goodness, I, I, what shall I do? I, you know, I prayed about it, wrote a letter to the newspaper anonymously, and got them on it wrote a letter to all the doctors in the community, had each of the residents hand deliver them and let them know what was going to happen when the residents left. By Friday afternoon, 
the doctors had called a meeting and they turned to the hospital and said, if you don't hire him back, we're going to take all our patients out of the hospital. There'll be nobody here on Monday. That was risky. I could have lost what I was going to do at the end. But God said, but even if you suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. The interesting thing, and this is the best part of the story. A couple of years after I left, both of them came to Christ. The director and Dr. Suma, her husband and wife team. We stayed in contact for years. God used that to minister to them and with other Christian residents in the program. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Went overseas, wanted to be a great doctor and found out that the things that were going to make a difference in the longest run were other things, development. Got there and there were two, there were three doctors, six nurses and a 135 bed hospital. We were the only hospital for 300,000 patients. We were averaging 180% occupancy. You know how you had 180% occupancy in a hospital? You have two people in a bed, sometimes three family members sleeping on the floor. One day we had 481 patients in our 135 bed hospital in the midst of malaria epidemic. It was just unbelievable. Half of those patients were there with preventable diseases. Half of them died from preventable diseases. Kids weren't immunized. The water wasn't clean. They didn't have latrines. They had parasites, all these type of things. And we were just putting our fingers in the dike. And one day, Dr. Sturry, who graduated from here and founded the hospital, turned to me and said, David, why don't you start a community health program? Oh, by, by the way, you still need to work full time at the hospital, but can you do this on the side? I didn't know anything about community health. So I went and visited a few other programs I could find, asked a lot of questions, tried to find books. We didn't have any money. They took one nurse from the hospital and me and said, go make 300,000 people healthy. One day, I was the only doctor at the hospital. I was in surgery and one of the staff came and said, there's somebody here to see you. And I said, tell him I don't have time. I, you know, I just run in from emergency to emergency. He said, well, it's a Mzungu. It's, it's a white man. And I thought, who would be out here in the middle of, of nowhere? And so I said, I'll be there in a minute. I went out. There was a guy named Tom. Tom was a physician, internist. He had come and heard that we were trying to start something in community health. He had a grant from USAID to Johns Hopkins Medical School, one of the best public health schools in the country. They had had a program fall through, and he'd come all the way out there to see if we wanted to be the other program. You know what that program did? A lot of innovative things we were able to do ambassador visited to see it. We had people from 25 countries to come look at the program and copy what we were doing. Jumping in by faith because God had called me to do that. I didn't know anything about it, but it says, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Today, that program has 1,500 volunteer community health workers who've reached over a million people. We had as many as 10,000 people a year come to Christ because of that program. God does his work when you, by faith, do his word. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. When I left and God brought us back here, I headed up the medical work for Samaritan's Purse, started their relief work. I was up in Sudan. We had an epidemic of relapsing fever. It's kind of like Ebola, the same fatality rate, but didn't make the news. And we began treating patients. We were showing the Jesus film. People would gather hundreds, a thousand people to watch the Jesus film at night. People were coming to Christ. One night, I got, one day I got called when I was back in Nairobi by the UN and said, can you please come see us? 
they're the ones that took us up there in the plane. That's the only way you could get up there or the North Sudanese would shoot your plane down. I went in and they said, uh, we hear you've been proselytizing. If you don't stop doing that, we're not going to fly you up there anymore and your work will have to cease. Found out another secular group was trying to drive us out of our location so they could come in there. I pleasantly said, well, let, let me uh, think about that overnight. I'll be back tomorrow. We went and got down on our knees as a group. There was one new person there that just come in, a young guy from Canada. And we prayed about this situation. I didn't have any clarity what to do. I thought we're just going to have to close down, but then we won't be proselytizing at all. What about these people's health? All these issues. He pulled me aside afterwards and said, uh, introduced himself. He said, uh, yeah, I just graduated from law school. Uh, you know, you were talking about that problem. I think there's something in the European charter about freedom of religion, and, and I'm pretty sure it's in the UN charter as well. You know, by the way, I stuck a few books in my bag. Let me go see if I can find that. The next day I went back to see the lady and I said, I, I'm, I'm so sorry, uh, but we can't stop. But I, I just got to ask you this question. Why are you telling me to do something that your charter says we can do? And you're telling me I can't do it. And she backed up in this end of it. By faith, acting in faith, God did something that we did not expect, could not have made happen. But he said, be strong, be courageous. Do not be afraid for the Lord, your God will be with you wherever you go, even a tent in the middle of South Sudan, trying to save people's lives and introduce them to the gospel. Dr. Brown, uh, Larry Brown, the chair mentioned that I've been at CMDA for 25 years. First year at CMDA, it was one of the hardest years of my life. Financial problems, our large short-term medical mission ministry broke off in a very acrimonious way. But God, I knew God had called me. I was doing what I could. About two weeks into it, I had a trip to speak up near Bristol, Tennessee, and I flew in there and I had taken a guy named Joe with me that had a medical supply business with his family that had helped us when I was a Samaritan's purse, taking him to Kenya and Tanzania. And I heard they had bought a pharmaceutical company in Bristol and I flew in at the Tri-City Airport and I thought, well, I've got enough time. Maybe I'll go by and say hello to Joe. <laughs> so I showed up unannounced. They were showing me around this pharmaceutical, 200,000 square feet of office space. They had about 30 or 40 employees. They were just starting. And I made the comment, I said, well, Wow, who knows what God's going to do with you? Look at all this, this space. I said, we just put a desk in the hallway in our little 6,000 square feet down in, in Dallas. I wasn't thinking anything, just making small talk. He turned to me a few minutes later, his brother, the president said, well, why don't you guys just move up here? We'll give you a floor. Long story short, they gave us 24,000 square feet of space. They had paid all our utilities, paid all our taxes, did all our cleaning, did all our repairs. CMDA moved up there and the organization grew like crazy. I remember John, the president, turned to me and said, I figure God will just bless you and it'll flow through to us. They were the fastest company in the history of the United States to go from startup to being listed on the S&P 500. I don't think we had anything to do with it. They were just honoring God. They, by faith, were reaching out to other people and acting like God was telling the truth. And God worked through them to us, from us to others. That's how God works. 
I could sit here and tell you story after story of what God's done through this simple premise of believing his word and acting upon it. You know, my prayer is for you that you'll take God more seriously. Not only will you take him seriously, but you will act upon what his promises are and see him work in your life in these days and throughout your life. That's what God wants to do.